0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to React Roundup. I'm Justin Bennett. I'm standing in for Charles while he's out delivering his child to school. Uh, He'll probably (laughs) jump on later. I'm joined today by Lucas Rice. Hello, everybody. And our guest today is Ram. Uh, Hello, everyone.
1: Hey, folks, I just want to let you know quickly about Netlify. Netlify is a really cool system for hosting what are traditionally known as static sites. However. The real benefit that I've been finding is that I don't have to mess with back end. I can just set things up. I build the website out. I've been using a system called Eleventy.js and you just deploy it. And then anything that you have that you want to do, you can do on the front end. So if you want to pull in some kind of database with Firebase or something else, if you want to collect form data, Netlify provides all kinds of services that make it easy to do all that stuff. If you're trying to do serverless, they have a really, really neat serverless setup that will allow you to deploy your websites without having to deploy a backend and it'll do some of the work for you. I, I just I just love it. So if you're looking for a way that you can actually deploy a website that only has front-end technology in it, gives you all the tools that you typically need for the backend without having to actually program the backend, then give them a try. Go check them out at netlify.com. Ram, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure. Uh, my name is Ram and I work at Facebook on React Native. I've been working on uh, cross-platform mobile application development platforms for a pretty long time. Before Facebook, I was at Microsoft where I was working on Apache Cordova or PhoneGap. And uh, I was building developer tools for Apache Cordova and PhoneGap. And uh, after that, we started investing in React Native at Microsoft. And then I eventually moved to Facebook. And uh, at Facebook, uh, over the last two halves, I have primarily been working working on improving the performance of React Native and uh, parts of the new architecture of React Native. I'm personally super excited about like the whole idea of using one platform to build for iOS and Android, because I think it's good not just in terms of productivity, but how you can like reuse code and like share ideas and stuff. And uh, I'm particularly excited about React Native, primarily because it brings you brings to you this whole idea of not only can you create new apps with React Native, but also use React Native in existing apps, which makes like moving between technologies much easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Since you
3: worked in Microsoft, so you're told like you worked with Cordova and uh, you worked with React Native, but you also worked with Xamarin, right? By the time I
2: was leaving Microsoft, I was reporting to the team that was formed as a result of acquiring Xamarin and a bunch of other companies. This was called the mobile, you you may want to call it the mobile developer division. And uh, some of the primary goals of this group basically was to help people be more efficient when they're building mobile applications. And Xamarin was one platform. I think my boss's boss was basically the person who founded Xamarin.
3: Nice. And how do you think these three solutions, like what what's the landscape and what's... Yeah, how do you think they compare in terms of like, I don't know, productivity and how things work?
2: Uh, I think uh, the whole cross-platform space itself is very interesting. And I'm personally... Uh, I have been trying to learn a lot more about the space. And apart from just these three players, there are two more really interesting players that I've been interested in and working with. Uh, Flutter being the new entrant in the space. And of Mm -hmm. course, uh, NativeScript, that has been around for a while. Uh, The way I look at it is uh, NativeScript, Cordova and uh, React Native are from the JavaScript side of the world. And -hmm. for people who like Dart, there's Flutter. And for people who like C Sharp, there's uh, Xamarin. And I personally believe that in a lot of cases, uh, the people who choose Xamarin or Flutter are, are trying to, or at least Xamarin and, uh, mainly, they're doing it because their company is already doing a ton of C-sharp, and uh, it's easier to just reuse all of that uh, knowledge and expertise in c Sharp as a language that you've built up, and you'll be able to reuse that. So that's actually pretty interesting, and uh, Xamarin has a pretty good number of users and has enterprise-level support. Uh, Flutter is obviously the new kid in the block, and uh, uh, their whole approach of doing or writing applications is interesting because they don't reuse any of the UI controls that iOS or Android provides. Mm -hmm. They draw it from scratch using their uh, browser rendering engine called Skia. And the claim there is that it's it's there, it's done like this to make the whole rendering process super fast. The thing I love about Flutter is uh, the, the, the way their developer tools are set up, uh, they have taken a lot of lessons from React and React Native and taken their development lifecycle to the next level. Like The polish that they've added to their command line tools is pretty impressive. Cordova, on the other hand, has been around for a much longer time. And uh, back in the day when uh, people thought that Java and Objective-C were the only way to build mobile applications, Cordova kind of disrupted the whole thing and said that, hey, mm-hmm. web developers can now have an entry point into uh, building applications. Now... I do agree that it, it might get harder and harder to ensure that every single application that you you write mimics exactly the native controls using uh, things like CSS styling. But uh, Cordova and then Ion, companies like Ionic on top of Cordova have provided that glue layer very well. And there are a lot of people who have a website want to just quickly convert that website to mobile applications, and Cordova has played a very important role.
3: Nice.
2: And then I think finally there's native script, native script, and React Native. Both of them are very similar to each other, uh, with the key difference being React Native basically builds on top of all the concepts of React. NativeScript, on the other hand, is basically an imperative API, and NativeScript can actually be bolted on top of JavaScript frameworks like Angular and Vue.js. In fact, I think when NativeScript started, uh, it was not built on top of Angular, and uh, it was basically like, hey, just use JavaScript to go create buttons and stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. You you're you're spot on with that. Um the native script is really interesting in that like it builds like at, for every build of native script it like has javascript bindings to all the low-level API calls. So like I don't you can do interesting things like create pointers and free memory in javascript. <laughs> it's like super super interesting.
2: Yeah, but I think the build process is pretty interesting. They actually have like, even if you if you bring in like a third party uh, SDK, like Firebase, for example, they have their build process where they generate these bindings, right? And that's actually pretty interesting. I'm not sure, like eventually for developer, like if you want to make the, the APIs developer friendly, you probably will have to write like a TypeScript or a JavaScript interface on top of the differences. But I think the fact that you don't have to go wrap around anything manually is, is definitely an interesting idea.
3: Yeah, it seems to me that it's almost like the opposite of Flutter, right? Flutter is itself like writing a bunch of stuff from from scratch. And native script is is almost like be more low level, like I'm just going to wrap these these native stuff here and then you do whatever you want. Is it
0: Yeah, that's that's basically it, but they also have like um, native script in the beginning they offered like some APIs that like bridged the gaps mm-hmm. so they have their their base level binding that like provides javascript bindings to all the native apis and then they had their compatibility layer on top of that mm. to give you like unique um or, or like similar apis between the platforms and now they're providing like framework support on top of that so you can use like know. Oh, and okay.
3: and other things. so they're going like a higher level with time yeah,
0: it's just more layers of abstraction there. And it's like JavaScript yeah, yeah, yeah. is the common underlying.
2: And I think as a developer, you get, the, you get the ability to pick and choose, right? Like there could be cases when you want to have that common abstraction and say, hey, I want to write one code that runs both on iOS and Android. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have like, hey, I have this very specific Bluetooth API that I want to access in Java. So I'm going to go just write directly to the metal. Nice. And then there's React Native. And of course, then there's the big, uh, big um, uh, kid in the block, React Native. I think React Native's association with React has been very, very useful because at that point, what basically React Native does is it takes the concept of uh, like React's components and says, why does a component have to be declared in terms of divs and spans, which are specific to the browser? Instead, why not generalize that and abstract that out and use component concepts or leaf nodes that are at a platform specific level. And that's why I think React Native is interesting because if you have done React, if you have learned React and given that React is so popular, it's pretty easy to pick up React Native. And then once you've picked up and gotten started with it, you actually can jump into Native whenever you want. And I think one of the other things I like about React Native is in this entire cross-platform ecosystem, React Native is in a unique situation where we say that, hey, you can start with React Native, but if you are an Android engineer or an iOS engineer, you should be able to jump into like, writing native code whenever you want. That also probably stems from the fact that the main Facebook app, which uses React Native, is actually not a fully React Native app. It is an, it's a native app with some screens written in React Native. And that is, I think, true for most of the applications that are written at Facebook. Even the apps that are pure React Native, we don't treat them as like, hey, this is a React Native only app. It's a mobile app written using React Native.
3: Yeah, so this is a, maybe it's a source of issues, right? A lot of people think like, oh, I'm, I work 100% with dev. I know everything about the browser and everything about React. I want to make a, an app, just like start doing React Native. But you reach a lot of those moments where, you actually don't know what's happening, right? And you need to to know a little bit about the platform itself.
2: I agree. I think uh, a lot of people do believe that just knowing JavaScript is sufficient to write a mobile application. But as you said, I think you said it very well when you said knowing about the platform is important. And Mm -hmm. to me, the way I see it is when you write it on the browser, most of the time you write similar code, but then there are going to be browser differences. Now, granted that browser differences are not as vast as mobile platform differences, But you do need to be cognitive of the fact that there are differences in the browser and something that works on Chrome may not work on Safari. Now, given that mobile platforms are, to me, an extension of that concept, Mm -hmm. maybe it's just that that the differences are a little higher. And I do believe that if if you really want to write good apps, embracing the platform and understanding the specifics of the platform might actually be very, very important.
0: Yeah, there's also this interesting thing where if a team has had a traditional native development team, like, you know, they've, they've been doing native apps and you're you're introducing React Native. Like you'd mentioned earlier, Ram, you can, like, just kind of start tying in React Native, like, really slowly. Um, it doesn't have to be, like, an all-or-nothing thing. But there's just that general idea of, like, being able to, like, section off parts of your app where you can, like, have more people being able to contribute to it um, is a really powerful concept, um, and and a lot of these tools have this capability. But React Native, in particular, I think it it really shines. And the great thing is, just like you know, the paradigms are are transportable. Or, you know, it's like from the React perspective, most of the, the API are and feel various things right anywhere. Mm-hmm. That was the original promise, or is construed as a promise. But um, I think it's important that teams like understand that that's not really a thing. It's like the platform differences from web. To you know, mobile in general are definitely there and definitely huge, yeah. and it's like you know that's something to to you have to account for.
3: So I I wonder like what is the reception like if you have a, a native iOS team? So I understand a lot was the reception of React Native to a web team. Like I've been in that situation a lot. I worked in web teams that started working in the app. Like back in my my previous job, B two W, we worked. It was an e commerce. We worked with the checkout section. And our team started working on the checkout section of the app through React Native, right? So there was this app and uh, we started working on the React Native code to be inserted on on an existing app. But how's the reception level? Uh, You have an iOS team working with Swift and some Objective-C, and then you bring React Native to them. Like, what is the reaction? How do people perceive it? Because like I, I always read about people like hating JavaScript on the internet, Like and now Swift is a super nice language. Like What's the...
2: Uh, so I think that's a pretty good question. And of course, as you said, there are going to be people who say, hey, I'm an iOS-only developer and I only want to write in Swift. But then again, they'll have to go get someone else to do the Android work. However, what I've indeed seen from an increasing perspective is uh, a lot of native engineers, a lot of Android engineers and iOS engineers are starting to see React Native in a positive light because to them, they feel that React Native helps them scale much, much faster. Uh, what they do is, on a, on a team, if you're an Android engineer or an iOS engineer, you basically lay, lay down all the groundwork, do all the critical infrastructure pieces, and then get the web developers to build user interfaces and screens on top of what you've already built.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that way, uh, the, the speed at which you can move is much, much faster. Uh, We have actually seen this at a lot of companies. In fact, I was recently speaking at a conference in India and I visited a bunch of companies in India. And you would be surprised to know that many of them were pure native applications. And because they noticed that uh, they're able to reuse a lot of their web infra, those teams have started to move to React Native. Like they've actually started to convert screens in their native app to React Native. And the native engineers haven't gone anywhere. In fact, the fact that they had native engineers, they were able to move much, much faster. And these apps are actually like the top apps in their category. It's like the Amazons of India or the Ubers of India. And Mm -hmm. given that they're consumer apps, they needed to have first class user experience, like no compromise on that side. And given that now they have both native engineers and JavaScript engineers, they covered both their bases. They basically have smooth experience and all the quick iteration that they need for the growth. I think that's the perception I'm seeing increasingly in a lot of native engineers and uh, it's, it's pretty uh, interesting to see the whole idea of native engineers accepting that, hey, React Native is just a framework, and mm-hmm. I, I can now make my codebase more accessible to the rest of the company.
0: So my coworker, Orta, actually has been kind of a, a thought leader in this space and has talked a lot about moving like, teams to React Native, specifically native teams. So he recently wrote a blog post that I'll, I'll uh, post later about what it's like for a native like ios developer to start kind of learning and onboarding to to ios but you know artsy itself has went through this journey because like when we started it was like a native app and we had like native engineers um, and then we've kind of over time slowly grown the responsibilities and like now it's mostly just like traditional web engineers who are like working on the apps and we still have people who are like, you know, with native experience, but the size of that is much smaller. And like at one time we had a native team and now we don't, um, we have people with native experience and we try to, you know, cross train and stuff. But I think generally from just hearing him talk that there is a lot of hesitation from native teams because, you know, if you've been doing iOS for you know, like 10 years and you're used to Objective-C or now you're getting into Swift. It's like, do you want to use JavaScript? Probably not. And I think one of the things that, like, we always have to account for is, like, a lot of people's, like, when new technologies can come in, especially if it's, like, interrupting the things you've been doing for a while, it can feel threatening. And I think it's important to note that, like, um, and this is important for multiple reasons, like React Native and these sorts of tools, Don't eliminate the need for native developers. Lucas, Mm -hmm. like you were saying earlier, you need people that understand the platforms because ultimately you're going to hit things where you've got to work on the platform or you'll have bugs or you'll have features that you need to reach outside of the React Native box. So at Artsy, we have two sorts of, Two parts of our app. It's in two different repositories. We have Eigen, which is our actual native code base, so that implements a lot of our features, and we have a mission, which is the React Native like overlays. So like more and more of our app is kind of starting to grow from a mission, but we still do a lot of native stuff in Eigen to really power the app. And you know, there's a lot of features that we provide hooks to and stuff like natively. So for native developers who are interested, you know, it's it's definitely a thing where, of course, it's it's new, and, but it doesn't, like, replace you. It, it really is hopefully adding bandwidth to your whole team and, like, providing a common surface area for your team to build on.
2: Nice. So when you say native engineers may not be interested, if you were to uh, dig deeper and try to figure out what were the reasons why they are, uh, some of the common questions I've heard is, First thing, as you said, is are native engineers replaceable? And I think the answer to that is no. React Native doesn't replace anyone. In fact, it augments and makes the team more accessible. The second thing is someone from Swift or Java or Kotlin or Object-to-C background hates JavaScript as a language. And most of that boils down to, hey, the language doesn't have types, and it's not like statically checked and stuff. And I think a lot of code bases, a lot of large-scale code bases today are written either using TypeScript or Flow. Mm-hmm. and uh, TypeScript and Flow as a language can be comparable to like Swift and Kotlin in terms of ease of use and static checking and all of that.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
2: think in general, in this cross-platform space, uh, React Native is in this uni- has this unique niche where you will be able to pick and choose React Native in parts of application that you want. And I think that has been something that had been lacking in the cross-platform development space for a while. Like when Cordova was around, it was hard because either the full screen was Cordova or it was not. And the whole idea of embedding Cordova was not given as much importance. And I think mm-hmm. increasingly, a lot of frameworks are starting to understand that they can't be all or nothing. You need to opt in and opt out. And I think even in more recent things like Flutter, they have like uh, ideas where they will be able to do something similar.
3: Yeah, yeah. even Yeah. Even in the, in the web space, like people come with like, oh, there is like Elm and there is like now ReasonML. If you're not able to put that thing inside like one component and just try with like one small thing, it's like if you need a revolution to do anything, like that thing won't be done in your... Okay, so I am the super beginner here in React Native. I have another, another question regarding that. So how does React Native work? Like what is the the under the hood thing? Is it does it compile fully to, to a language? Does it have like a JavaScript runtime that it that it starts in the and I also read that there's a new architecture uh, happening, so how does it work?
2: That's a pretty good question. And I think uh, it was not until recently that we even went and fixed our Wikipedia page. A lot of people are confused about, hey, does React Native compile into native code? And Mm -hmm. probably because they read on Wikipedia incorrectly that it's a cross-compile thing. (laughs) (laughs) So that is not correct. React Native basically is bundled with a JavaScript engine. Mm -hmm. Now for iOS, we don't have to explicitly bundle the JavaScript virtual machine because iOS has JSC or JavaScript core built into it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Android, on the other hand, does not. And we do bundle JSC or JavaScript core as a part of your application. Uh, mm-hmm. The best way to think about your application is it's effectively Android application or an iOS application. It starts up just like any Android or iOS application does and like shows the same has the same application lifecycle, same mm-hmm. view controllers and same activities. But then what it does is it draws a specific root view and that root view is populated using JavaScript. So what, what happens is it draws an Android root, root view or an iOS root view and then spins up the JavaScript virtual machine. All of your JavaScript code is executed. And if you re- recall from your React days, the whole reconciliation, re- reconciliation that happens, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of spitting out instructions to draw a div or a span, you start getting instruction that uh, instructions that, hey, go draw this Android view or go draw this iOS view. And uh, that's pretty much how it works. The way we communicate between JavaScript and the native Objective-C or Java land is using the concept of a bridge. The idea being, because you're, if you're on the browser, JavaScript can manipulate the DOM directly. But because it's iOS and Android, that direct manipulation cannot happen. Mm-hmm. And that's why you need to serialize your React reconciliation commands. And then someone on the Android side picks it up and draws them. The other layer in this uh, architecture is uh, about layout. So browsers understand Flexbox, they have a built-in CSS engine, but iOS and Android only understand like their own layout systems, right? So we have in this middle, a system called yoga. And yoga is responsible for taking in Flexbox uh, CSS or layout CSS and converts them to X and Y coordinates of Mm. where stuff should be drawn. Nice. I think to summarize, there are like these three, three systems. There's a JavaScript virtual machine, there's a layout system, and there is the whole UI thread that's written in Objective-C or in Java. And these also roughly correspond to the three main threads that are running in your application. So React Native, by default, is multi-threaded. And that's the current architecture of React Native.
3: Okay, so uh, these uh, yoga calculations, are they done in JavaScript or do you send messages to the native part that does the calculation?
2: So, yoga is written in C++. Yoga is a C++ library. Oh, okay. And uh, what happens is, in yoga, we construct what is called a shadow DOM. A shadow DOM is, or the shadow tree is, is a representation that's very similar to your main DOM, rep, like, main React component representation. Mm-hmm. And once we have that tree constructed, C++ iterates over the trees, figures out which nodes are dirty, and then just uh, runs the measuring algorithm on top of them.
3: Oh, nice. Is there a performance tax, like, how how's the performance tax on
2: that so you need to do, you need to run layout somewhere in the system mm-hmm. if you're writing a native android application you're letting android run the layout so if you write like a linear layout or like a any other kind of layout that layout calculation happens anyway the best way to look at yoga is yoga sort of replaces that mm-hmm. so though it's not native to the android system yoga sort of is your layout system and it says hey here's the x and y for so position these absolutely
1: nice
3: Regarding like the new architecture, like how are the new changes related to what you just uh, told me? Is like the, the new architecture, is this, like a new bridge? Is it, how is it touching that?
2: So I think the, best, the, the way we like to joke about it is the new architecture is basically burning the bridge. So <laughs> <laughs> in the new architecture, we are not going to have the bridge, but let me explain and let me tell you why. Yeah. So on the browser, you know, when you say document or create element, Mm-hmm. the return value that you get is a is an HTML element, right? It's not a JavaScript object. It's a object that the browser provides possibly mm-hmm. written in C++. And then you can you basically hold like a reference to that object. And mm-hmm. then you can pass it around and you can say body dot append child and you can append that node and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So that whole structure of a hey, you being able to synchronously call and create an element and then manipulate it is super useful. Mm-hmm. Now in React Native, I remember I said ReactNet is based on these three threads, right? And because they are threads, they are typically asynchronous. The fact that they are non-blocking is very good because if you think about it, your UI thread is now not as busy. Like, unlike the browser, your UI thread is, super, uh, is free because most of the heavy lifting happens either in the layout thread or in your JavaScript business logic. So in 99% of the cases, asynchronous uh, uh, programming is good. But if you think about it, if you have a synchronous API, you can make it asynchronous. But the other way is not true. So uh, what the new architecture does is it converts this, synchron- this uh, non-blocking or asynchronous APIs into synchronous flavors. And then once you have the synchronous flavors, if you want, as a developer, you can add the whole non-blockingness to it. What that means in more specific sense is React Native is now starting to become more like the browser. In a sense that just like you have document create element, you'll probably have an equivalent of uh, that saying UI manager create node or something like that, and you'll be able to create all of these nodes and stuff. And your shadow DOM, which was originally written in Java, can now be implemented in C plus plus, and you'll basically have direct access to like being able to create and manage and manipulate all of these nodes. The eventual goal is now that you can run it synchronously and asynchronously, you'll be able to take advantage of all the things like say React Fiber, for example, where you wanna be able to start running an operation, suspend it and run it later and add priorities. For example, if you're rendering something, you'll be able to stop that rendering from a network request and respond to user clicks, which will make like the app, entire app feel a lot more uh, performant and a lot more responsive. So you're
3: making like the shadow DOM more like the real DOM. is that what you're doing?
2: Yes, in a way, one way to think about it is React Native is starting to become more like a browser
3: than not. Wow, that's interesting. And uh, another ironic thing is that like, we complain so much about the browser all the time when we work with the web. And we're like, oh, we hate it and stuff. And, and now we're seeing like this super popular and, and cool like tool that does not work with the browser. is starting to actually become a browser.
2: I think that's true. In fact, I think most, if you, if you look at it, uh, the browser is synchronous. And most of the complaints are that, hey, the browser is blocking and synchronous. Mm-hmm. And that's why we want to add like non-blocking asynchronous operations. React Native, on the other hand, add non-blocking stuff. And we want to add blocking stuff, right? So I think yeah. we, we have come to a world where both of these worlds are converging. And mm-hmm. I think there are use cases where some APIs need to be blocking, while the others need to be non-blocking and the moment you have both of them, you'll be able to pick, pick and choose. And I think that's where we are coming towards.
0: Nice. Nice. That, that's really cool. I'm really excited for this. So React Native has always been a really solid option, but there have been some things that are painful generally. The lack of a synchronous API sometimes has really caused some heavy problems. And it, it, it sounds like something that shouldn't, but like it really can be challenging sometimes. I'll try to dig up some old issues that we had from that, but mm-hmm. um, uh, this new architecture, I'm super excited about.
2: Yep, yeah, and I think one of the one of the things that I keep hearing is a classic example of I wanting to take a picture and upload it somewhere. So in the old way, the typical way people used to do it is take a picture, serialize it over to JavaScript, and then serialize it back to uh, the uploader plugin and upload it. And because you had like these two serializations and deserialization, it was painful. There were ways around it people had hacks where they said, hey, you sort of hold a pointer or a reference to it. But with the new architecture, you'll be able to do it in a more official way. So it's like, for example, when you say navigator.geolocation in the browser, navigator is a C++ object and get location is a method on top of that object, right? React Native will be able to call native modules in a very similar fashion.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that's going to be that's gonna be. Super helpful.
3: So, in some sense, it has some learnings from the native script
2: stuff. Am I uh, it right? There are a lot of similarities from native script that is correct. I think uh, native script has the, the synchronous API, which is very similar. Like it generates C bindings for each of those synchronous mm-hmm. APIs. So, there are a lot of parts that are similar, yes. Nice. And I think we speak to the native script team and the Flutter team and all the other cross platform teams very often. And I'm actually glad that all of us in this cross-platform space are able to learn from the uh, ideas that the other, other framework has.
3: Yeah, this is really cool. Another thing that I think about when, when, when I see... Uh, so this talks about React Native, and now you're talking about how the Shadow Dome is changing. So there are some projects that try to to bridge the gap between both mobile and web. like It's like really like one code base how do you see these types of, of, of projects in the in this scenario do you think this is like a
2: attainable goal do you, do you think it's helpful do you think it's not helpful just to clarify to the listeners who may not have heard about these two projects these mm-hmm. projects I think there are two big projects in this space first one is called react Native web yes uh, the second one is called react Native Dom and uh, both of them try to attack this problem from different perspectives I think what react Native web does is it says, hey, why think in terms of divs and spans? Why not think in terms of canonical components and let the DOM or React Native or even React VR for that matter, uh, go and implement like a view should be, become a div. A view should become like an Android uh, Android view and a view should become a VR entity in uh, like each of the platforms. So that's that's what React Native Web does. React Native DOM on the other hand is sort of an implementation of React Native on the browser, it basically runs React in a web browser, in a web worker and does stuff like that. So the interesting thing is both the people who created React Native Web, which is Nicholas Gallagher, and uh, the person who created React Native DOM, Vincent trimer work at Facebook now. And um, we are, Facebook is definitely interested in getting this whole idea where we say, hey, React JS and React DOM are not really disparate worlds. We want to switch the thinking around it and say, There's the react way of doing things and then react dom react native react VR and all of these are just platforms. Basically, depending on the framework, the platform will be able to render what it is. So I think this is definitely a very compelling idea and uh, we are definitely exploring it, but I think in more concrete terms, I'm not even sure how far we have gotten like with it. A lot of companies are already starting to use it. Microsoft with react XP already uses this idea. There are a lot of companies who are already using React Native, React, uh, native web, web on production and stuff like that. So there's clearly a need for this. People do want this. And I think Facebook is thinking of how to formalize this and what's the best way to work around it. One concrete step that we are taking in this direction is we are trying to make React Native thinner. We are removing, all, uh, we are removing a ton of components from the core and moving it outside React Native into like a community repository. The reason there being, if the source code, of so again, this is only for source code. So if the source code of React Native is thin, then we can think in terms of these components components, and say, hey, a switch versus a text box across web and uh, mobile are similar. So maybe we should abstract that out. So there is this whole effort called Lean Core that's happening where we are trying to make React Native thinner and trying to consolidate and come up with like a good set of components that can be shared across multiple platforms.
3: Yeah, nice. Yeah, I saw that the Lean Core uh,
2: part of the roadmap, right? That's interesting too. And I think uh, the good thing about Lean Core is a, l- a lot of people say that, hey, it's just React Native throwing components out. I think that's that's incorrect because for most people, they think that, hey, is React Native not supporting a specific component? That's incorrect because React Native will continue to supporting that component, it's just that it's not going to be, it's the source code of that component is going to be in a different place. Mm -hmm. What that also means is uh, when you're upgrading React Native, now the upgrade surface area is much, much smaller. And then eventually you'll have the freedom of upgrading components independently as and when people want. So by default, the current nature of React Native will continue to exist. But as far as components are concerned, people will now have the freedom of saying, hey, the core is leaner. Which makes it like move which which gives it the ability to move much, much faster.
3: Yeah, yeah. When I worked with React Native, it was like years ago, couple of years ago. I remember how painful it was like every every version change had like so much. I think it was because it was like probably like not very mature yet. But I remember this, like there were like a lot of components involved in the in the library itself and very specific, like that was like a view pager Android one, right? Things like that was like very, and was generating like breaking changes that are not important for everyone and things like that. So this is the kind of things that are going to the community, right?
2: Uh, Yes, I think the only reason I call it community is because the React Native community has taken the initiative to actually maintain and move these components forward at a much faster pace. Nice. Uh, I mean, it's, it's still core components. All of these are still going to be core components. It's just that they are, their source code is in a community repository. Mm-hmm. What that has also meant is, uh, let me give you an example. Last year, we figured that uh, a lot of people needed changes to React Native WebView, but we didn't have the time or the bandwidth to go execute on those. So instead of Facebook blocking on React Native WebView, we moved it to the community repository. And within the first two months, the number of pull requests and the number of issues that were accepted and taken care of was much, much more than what we did in two years. So I think this way we are able to get the community involved and a lot more people are contributing. If you look at the surface area of React, it's actually just a browser. It doesn't have the concept of components and stuff. React Native, on this other hand, was this massive ma- mammoth of everything under the sun. And as you said, like everyone doesn't care about page or Android. That's a very, very specific component, right? And not having it in the core and letting the community accept pull requests faster ensures that 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 component is not just ignored, it's actually taken care of. The other complaint that a lot of people had is React Native usually has been pretty bad at uh, responding to PRs and issues and stuff. Uh, That's actually not the case anymore uh, for two reasons. One, we actively have people now looking into PRs and responding to people. But more importantly, now that these components are in the community, a lot of people are actually now have the freedom to take this forward. So if there's a problem that you see, you will be able to fix it without having to wait for Facebook to come around to fixing it and eventually releasing it. So if something blocks you, you can go fix it. And I think that freedom for a community is very, very healthy.
3: Nice. Yeah, I think I tend to agree with that. I think it's, it's uh, making the process leaner for the main platform is, on, is only only going to be to be productive in, the, in that sense. I don't know if we can like step aside from the React Native talk a little bit because there was a really interesting thing that you brought to us before is that you're now working with C++ and you're coming from this JavaScript background. I don't know if we should uh, start talking about that now. Do you, do you have any other, any other questions, Justin? I'm super curious about this. Yeah,
2: yeah. let's
3: go. Sounds about good. this C++ life.
2: <laughs> so I think that that was actually a pretty interesting transition. And so I, I, I've pretty much been a web developer all my life. Uh, the last time I, see, I did C++ was during my college time. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's true for a lot of people. And they have basically dabbled in C++ just because they wanted to pass a course or something. And uh, after I joined React Native team, I think uh, there was one of these things where we wanted to move some of these APIs to C++ to make it faster. And I'd never done that. And I, I wanted to learn C again. And that's why I kind of took over the job. And one of the things I realized about React Native at that point was it's just a language. Like C, JavaScript, all of those are just languages. In fact, the way I looked at it was the, the JavaScript that we write today probably isn't was nothing like the JavaScript we wrote two years ago. So like it, it's a completely new language. So learning new languages has actually like that that, that idea sparked this whole hope of. Hey, maybe I can learn a new language. And mm-hmm. that's how I started getting into learning Java and Objective C. And now I've started learning C. And honestly, my C is probably horrible at this point of time. <laughs> but the fact that I'm able to pick it up and write, I think it's thanks to the React Native team for giving me this opportunity to not limit myself just to web development, but explore these other avenues of like learning new languages and trying to understand the system, the entirety of the system. How does the
3: dev experience compare? With both. A lot of people that, that I talk to that works with web dev and, and other languages, they always talk about the web developer experience uh, is really good, like fast feedback and stuff like that. And you don't need to to wait for long compile times. How, how does it compare with C++? I
2: think I'm super biased because I'm a web dev. And web dev experience is way, way ahead. I can, <laughs> I, I think most people on the React podcast Who are web developers probably can relate to it. So you are right in the sense that there is a fast feedback cycle. Errors in both languages can get cryptic. Like undefined Mm -hmm. is not a function is common in JavaScript. So C++ has its quirks there. I think in terms of general debugging, either using like command line debugger or in our case, in Facebook's case, we use Atom to debug like uh, uh, Java C++ code or object uh, for object C we use Xcode. So that is a little painful. But that's probably because I'm I'm not familiar with the language as much, or I don't understand C++ as much. But yes, you have to compile it, and every time wait for the app to compile, and even for smaller changes to run. So that's one thing I definitely do miss on the web, and I can see why web developers love their environment and like the whole developer cycle. When everyone says web dev cycle is much faster, I, I can see why. Mm-hmm. Specifically, now that I've gone to C++, I, I see that perspective and do respect. Like yeah, web, for web development, if there's no library load that's a deal breaker right so things like that are
0: critical and i can see see why though that's important this is funny i actually had the opposite experience i started my career doing c++ and i migrated over time i went from c++ to python to eventually javascript but the c++ environment is not the most friendly in general like debugging is hard especially because it like takes like for the web you know, JavaScript is kind of your your base. Like the hardest debugging thing is like mapping source maps and stuff like that. And you're just interacting with these like lower level browser APIs and they take care of like all the heavy lifting behind the scenes. Whereas you're doing C++ and you have to debug something. Say you have a null pointer exception. You're trying to reference something that like literally doesn't exist. You might have to dig down into like, the compiled assembly to say, what is this thing doing? And there are some tools out there to make that easier, but, like, they're not, you know, new and flashy and easy to use and all that stuff. It's, Mm -hmm. It's still, like, you almost have to be, like, a seasoned veteran. And the other thing that, like, we take for granted, a lot of people say that, you know, NPM is, like, you know, it has its problems or whatever, but it makes... Finding something and having, like, new packages and dependencies and stuff, like, super simple. Maybe that's not always a good thing, but generally it makes that process super simple. C++ doesn't even have an official package manager. Like, that's not even a thing. Like, I'm sure there are package managers that exist out there, but there's no, like, centralized repository, you know? The good thing is it has a really well defined pretty solid standard library, whereas I feel like that's kind of in a lot of ways missing from JavaScript. So there are, you know, like standard library gives you like vectors and things like that. So, you know, it's, those like more intense data structures are nice. But, you know, manual memory management is is fun and <laughs> easy to shoot yourself in the foot with. And C++ has multiple inheritance, so you can... <laughs> There's a this problem called the diamond of doom where it's like you, if you have a, a child class that inherits from two multiple cl- or two parent classes that inherit from the same parent class and it like gets in this like really bad state. And so it's interesting and it's hard and it's different. But it's also like a fun challenge. I had a lot of fun building C++. I think like really well written C++ code is like very elegant. But where I had to go back to that today, I would look at like Rust or Zig or like some other yeah. alternative in that space.
3: Yeah, but it, it it's interesting, like this interplay. Like uh last year I went to the oh my god, what's the name of the conference in Sweden? Nordic Jazz, right? And there was this talk, I'm I'm gonna find it. I don't have his name now. He works at the actual like VA team. And he was saying like like I don't, I don't build JavaScript applications. It doesn't. Be, they don't build JavaScript applications. Like if you work in the VA team, like you're like fully working on that, like working with C plus code, and it was like I need to, to gather feedback from you people working building JavaScript applications because I don't, I don't know what's important and what is not. Like I don't know what I should work on. So this interplay is 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 really interesting. It's like it. It's another, it's, it's another world. We're all devs, but it's like such different worlds. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, it's,
0: it's really cool. I always find it interesting, like the different sort of like constraints that you have in different systems, right? So like performance concerns, for example, like in JavaScript world, you're like minifying and like, you know, shipping like the fewest number of bytes across the wire as possible. Where, and, you know, like a native language, maybe you're building a binary and maybe you want that binary size not to be huge, but that doesn't necessarily relate over to the source code, right? There are, like, compiler optimizations and things that happen to, to make that, you know, more efficient. But generally, if you're thinking about, like, how many CPU cycles am I burning on this code and, like, you know, like, really, like, a lot lower level stuff, because, I mean, you're more constrained by the system that it's running on and you know like different concerns there so yeah. it's interesting
3: Nice. cycling back to the react native this is this is also like different uh, things that you need to worry about when you're when you're being a react native application or a web application right
2: uh, i think uh, performance in terms of react native uh, can span multiple dimensions uh, size constraints is definitely one like your your bundle size is one but that, that's probably not the biggest concern for a lot of people Mm-hmm. runtime performance also can span across these three layers and uh, in a lot of cases there are tons of stuff that you can do to optimize your java at your javascript layer at your java slash objective c layer, layer and at your c++ layer i think i started writing a blog post on what like what's the typical workflow for optimizing runtime performance mm-hmm. but given that you have like these three different layers there can be multiple optimizations that you can do in fact last year we were able to bring down the startup time of react native to half of what it was and that was by fixing a bunch of things across the board. Nice. So uh, in that in that terms, I think there is a lot of scope for improvement and a lot of interesting challenges out there.
1: Yep, that's amazing. This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects. And that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them, and if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. Triplebyte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com react. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through Triplebyte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus.
3: Lucas? Yeah, so this week is similar to, to last week. I am putting all my free time on making sure that I'm with my baby. I have a three-week baby girl at my home. and I'm just like, getting Marvel every day. It seems that something different happens. And something by something different, I mean like it seems that for a whole new minute, she's actually doing something different than crying, feeding, or sleeping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as a parent, it's it just feels amazing. It's like, oh, she's actually looking at me. <laughs> this kind of stuff. So my pick today would be like, I don't know, enjoy time with your family. I'll go back to my tech free time soon. And when I do, I have more tech picks. At this moment, it's family, family time.
0: That's super wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> so for this week, I have a few things. Um, I'm just going to pick some of the resources that I had shared earlier. So Orta, my coworker, has done a lot of work in... The Bridging the community gap between uh, native developers and React native developers, or just React developers, I guess. So um, there's a lot of good blog posts that he's put out. We did like a mini conference with the React native team, I think last year. So definitely um, check those out. And one of the last things is yeah, part of the conversation that's happening earlier. We we're talking about Yoga, the layout engine, and uh, how React Native uses you know its custom uh, render and everything. And that made me think of another project that I'd seen recently. There's this tool called Ink, which is a way to render CLI tools with React. So it also uses Yoga for like layout related stuff, which is kind of cool. But yeah, you can write React components to build CLI tools. It's, it's really, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's really awesome. And they just released version two that supports hooks. So get it while it's hot. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, so that's me. Ram, do you want to go next? So I think I had two picks. My, uh, my first pick is this uh, interesting repository in React Native Community called Discussions of Proposals. It's uh, the GitHub org is called React-Native-Community. The, or the repo is called discussions-and-proposals. Hyphen, hyphen and the idea here is most of the next-gen stuff of React Native is actually happening there. And there are a lot of people contributing new ideas. And then this is basically the RFC for React Native. So if you're interested in React Native, that's a good place to check out. Try at least to understand what's happening. And more importantly, to be able to contribute into React Native and figure out like, or help build the direction of React Native. Uh, that's my first pick. And I think uh, my second pick is uh, React 360 or React, or what used to be React VR. I'm starting to get more and more interested in Oculus and like this whole VR idea. And uh, because I'm a JavaScript developer, trying to approach the whole 3D space from JavaScript is interesting. And that's why I'm trying to play around and dabble with React VR. So that would be my second pick.
0: Awesome. Oculus. Cool. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining. And that's it for this week